0: In an alternate universe, the University of Oregon and Nike would be celebrating the end of an action-packed spring and summer at the new Hayward Field in Eugene. But we don't live in that world. Hayward Field sits empty. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, the Oregonian and Oregon Live's Ken Goh talks about the state of track and field in Oregon and when exactly the estimated $200 million sports facility will see action, with the Olympic trials pushed to 2021 and the Outdoor World Championships delayed until 2022. Go has worked at the paper for 43 years as a sports reporter. We talked about his first and favorite memories at the old Hayward Field, the controversies surrounding its destruction and replacement, the tough financial realities facing track nationally, and the uncertainty surrounding all these marquee events. Here's that conversation. Ken Go, thanks so much for taking time to chat with me today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Ken, take us back to the days when rumblings first started that the University of Oregon was considering big changes at Hayward Field. When did that happen, and what was the general feeling about it?
1: Well, actually, it all started with a decision to bid for the World Outdoor Championships because the old Hayward Field did not meet the minimum standards for hosting that meet. They didn't have a big enough stadium. They didn't have the infrastructure to support um, all the media demands. Uh, the understanding was if if the bid was successful, they would have to do something about the stadium. They first bid for the 2019 World Outdoor Championships. They did not get that bid. Uh, Doha, Qatar did. But when they landed them um, originally for 2021, uh, that was with the understanding that the stadium would be improved and enlarged.
0: Hayward Field is obviously, it's no and Eugene is Tracktown USA. But what is Hayward's place in the track and Field world globally is it recognized as a legendary place around the world
1: yes it's I would say um, the old Hayward field, the original one, was sort of regarded the way uh, Wrigley field would be for or Fenway Park for baseball. It was quaint uh, antiquated but magical and in large part because of the University of Oregon's success as a collegiate track program and and people who competed there. Uh, Steve Prefontaine, Ashton Eaton, Galen Rupp, um, I could go on and on and on. Great uh, athletes, not only here in Oregon, not only collegiately, but internationally. And uh, in recent years, it's hosted the Prefontaine Classic, which is belongs to the Diamond League. It's an elite series of meets for Olympic-level athletes. And it's easily the, uh, as if you look just at performances, it's the best meet held annually in the Americas and one of the best in the world. So, and, and because it's always at Hayward Field, Hayward Field has this cachet internationally.
0: So Ken, uh, the old Hayward Field is no more. it's It's gone. Um, what is the new Hayward Field look like? Is it, you know, we're talking here in mid-June. Is it is it finished and have you seen it and, and describe what it looks like?
1: I've not seen the inside of it since uh, last fall. The old Hayward Field was completely leveled. And what's risen in its place is sort of space age. It It's very jarring when you see it on the edge of the University of Oregon campus because it, it doesn't really blend in with the surroundings. It it really stands out, which I think is what um, the people that designed the stadium wanted. They wanted something that would be dramatic and, and breathtaking. And from the outside, it certainly appears that way. And you can see webcam videos of the inside, and it, um, it looks very dramatic. I, there's going to be nothing like it in the Americas, uh, and few like it in the world for a track only stadium.
0: Now this was supposed to be open for business at this time. Uh, we're, you know, talking again in mid June and the U uh, S Olympic trials were scheduled to occur at the new Hayward. Um, but here we are and, and it's sitting there vacant. Um, what are you hearing from, you know, people in the track and field world as they grapple with this reality that we're in now. I mean, it's, it's a lot to wrap your mind around, but they're also missing out on this, you know, once in a life opportunity for a lot of people uh, to compete for a place on the Olympic team and in, you know, a brand new stadium.
1: Those are good questions. And uh, there's a lot to tackle there. Um, The stadium was originally supposed to open with the PAC 12 championships in May. Um, I think that was an ambitious uh, schedule. I'm not sure the stadium would have been ready. A lot of people insist it would. Others say it wouldn't. It, it would have been very close to having it finished. Uh, and then uh, when that couldn't happen, then the, the Prefontaine Classic uh, at the very end of May was, was supposed to be the opening meet. But by the time it, we got around to considering that, uh, it was clear that the pandemic was going to keep the stadium from being used at all um, um. until the next fall at the earliest. Obviously, yeah, a lot of disappointed athletes and, and fans of the sport um, would have loved to, to have seen the Olympic trials take place in that stadium. The pandemic sort of has changed life for everybody in always ways. Um, this is just another way. And I think most athletes, though disappointed, sort of understand that um, that, that couldn't happen. Um, that just the, the risk of spreading the virus is too great. So I think they have accepted the decision to, to postpone both the Olympics and the Olympic trials for a year. Um, obviously it's going to have an impact on athletes who have spent essentially four years training for that moment and then had to shut down their training and are going to have to restart it here soon to be back ready in Olympic shape in 2021. So yeah, disappointment uh, tinged with sort of resignation I mean, what else can they do?
0: Right. And when you're a, a finely tuned athlete, especially in, in, these sports where you have to peak at the right moment. Um, you can't just turn it on and off, right? There's a lot of planning and forethought that goes into it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, I like say that these athletes train on a four year cycle. So after the last Olympics, uh, they immediately begin training for this one. And it's funny that uh, U.S. Olympic marathon trials are one of the last, uh, major events, uh, that were, were able to be held. They were in Atlanta, mm. Well, several local athletes, uh, Galen Rupp, uh, Sally Kipiego. Sally Kipiego is uh, a Kenyan native, but is a U.S. citizen who lives in Eugene generally and trains with the Eugene-based club called Oregon Track Club Elite. Uh, both made the Olympic marathon team, and now they have to shut it down. Um, uh, I think uh, USATF uh, ruling body for U.S. track and field has, mm-hmm. has indicated that they'll be allowed to keep their spots. But, yeah, it's going to be different, and, and had they – um, had to requalify in 2021. Who knows what would have happened? I mean, they're running on a very difficult course on a difficult day, and, and um, that certainly factored into the outcome. And, and on a different day, we might have had a different outcome. Uh,
0: Ken, r- remind us how how many seats does did the old Hayward have? Roughly, uh, I think at one point you went through and, and counted them all up. Right? I did a story on that. Yeah. Um And then what was what is the new field uh, projected to have?
1: the amount of seats in the old Hayward field has long been an issue of contention. The university of Oregon insisted right up to the end that there were 10,500 seats there. Um, We went through and counted them one day, uh, myself and a a track fan who lives in Eugene and, Mm. and came up with just slightly over 8,000, which calls into question all of the the crowd figures that have been uh, reported for years of uh, events there uh, that, just wouldn't have been possible considering how many seats are actually there. Um, uh, the new stadium is going to have uh, approximately 14,000 uh, permanent seats. Um, and they will add seats uh, for the uh, world championships um, and po- probably for the Olympic trials as well uh, to inc- increase capacity. The minimum capacity for a uh, world outdoor championships is 30,000. I think they're going to bend that a little bit for Hayward field. Cause I don't think even with, Temporary seating. Will I be able to get up to thirty thousand seats?
0: What um, you know, with that level of permanent seats in the stadium, it seems like it's going to change the feel there.
1: Yeah, people have brought up all along with with the size of the permanent uh, configuration. Um, there just aren't that many meets that draw that many people uh, in the regular season. University of Oregon meets in recent years have drawn somewhere between three and 6,000 people, and and that's using their crowd figures, which, as I said before, you can call into question because their report of the stadiums, you know, what they were saying was the official stadium size was inaccurate. Mm. So, yeah, what's that going to do to an ambiance of a, a Pepsi uh, team invitational, which is a, a three- or four-team meet uh, held annually at Hayward Field? Um, uh, when it drew... F- what was announced is 5,000. Even if there are actually 5,000 people there, it's not going to look like a big crowd in a 14,000 seat stadium. Now uh, the university contends they can block off part of it and and say uh, Matthew Knight arena and Eugene does, or or the the Moda center does for events that aren't going to be full uh, and still make the facility look full. So, I mean, that's a possibility. It's going to be big and grand for, for an, uh, a regular season meet at, Uh, That the university of oregon would have
0: so this uh, obviously is not just a facility that's important to eugene or to track and field fans or athletes around the world it's also important and has been treated as such for the state how much money did the state funnel to make the worlds happen do you know i know that there was discussion right before the pandemic hit about increasing the transient lodging tax potentially to to benefit uh, the world championships
1: yeah, uh so far, to my knowledge, uh the state has contributed twenty million dollars or promised to commit twenty million dollars. Organizers for the uh, bid to the for the World Outdoor Championships promised a state commitment of forty million dollars. Um and the state has so far been, to my knowledge, unwilling to to match that total. Um but the, the University of Oregon Foundation has guaranteed to make up for whatever the, the state shortfall would be. Mm. And they're getting their money largely from donors and in particular one donor who who can probably afford it.
0: (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned that, that donor, this is a privately funded stadium, right? I mean, the the U of O, which has like many higher ed institutions, a lot of money woes for a variety of different reasons, but this was funded by, by Phil Knight.
1: Uh, mostly, yeah. I mean, they, they contend there's a whole list of people who have donated And I think that's probably true, but I also think the lion's share of it uh, came from Phil Knight.
0: And do we have any estimate, uh, Ken, on how much the new Hayward cost?
1: The original cost estimate was $200 million. I think it's uh, well north of that based on uh, what I've been told.
0: I know that this was a controversial topic for a lot of people in the track world when you're you know, taking down those famed east grandstands what do people think of of the remodel do you have any sense of whether people are excited about it or there's kind of some mixed emotions
1: yeah i think it depends on who you talk to uh i think that there's a whole range of opinions about it yeah it was very contentious uh the way they tore down the old stadium tinker hatfield who's a a famed uh, nike designer Mm -hmm. he's uh, very famous for his shoe designs but he's also an architect had come up with a prototype for the. A redesigned Hayward Field that incorporated uh, the feel of the old one into it, and a lot of people uh, liked that design. I think that there was an understanding on almost everyone's part that there were going to have to be changes uh, to the Hayward Field, just you know, for basic reasons like the the size of the seats and the uh, it, it didn't conform to the Americans with Disability Act. Right. Um, a lot of track fans are older. The I don't know if, how many of your listeners will. Have been there, but uh, some of the stairways are steep, and people did fall, and it there was it was a liability concern, so there were going to have to be changes. I think most people understood that, but I think a lot of the traditionalists wanted to retain the feel of the stadium and in particular the look of the East Grandstand, which was uh, iconic and, and very old.
0: I grew up in Medford, Ken, and um, you know our football stadium down there, uh, Spiegelberg Stadium, was modeled after Hayward Field, I believe.
1: Yeah, and I've been there. Yeah, well, of course, there's a huge connection between Medford and University of Oregon. So I think there was uh, widespread support of Tinker Hatfield's design, but they couldn't get enough money to fund that design. And so it took a, the longest time to get the stadium up and running because they didn't have the money. And uh, finally, uh, I think it's my understanding they went to Phil Knight hat in hand and say, you know, we can't fund this thing. Please help. And he said, okay, but I'm going to determine what it looks like and he gathered together a, a group of experts of his choosing, track fans and, and architects, and they went out and looked at stadiums around Europe to come up with the design that they wanted. That's the design they picked. It was his money, his decision, and so they did it, and uh, a lot of traditionalists were very unhappy with, with that because they, they wanted input that they didn't feel they had, um, and there was talk of legal action to keep the East Grand Stands from being torn down, but the uh, a demolition happened quite ruthlessly and, and quickly, so no possible lawsuit could be filed. It was too late. You know, by the time that could have happened, each uh, East Grandstands were a pile of rubble. So even some of the people that were opposed to it liked the, sort of the impact that the new stadium has, but I don't think that's universal. I think some people still resent and regret the, w- the way that all went down and the fact that the new stadium isn't going to look anything like the old one.
0: Well, let's take a break and come back and talk a little bit more with Ken Go. Let's talk about former Oregon track and field coach Vin Lanana. He was a driving force behind bringing the Olympic trials to Eugene, the world championships to Eugene, and ultimately, you know, the new Hayward Field to Eugene. And in a bit of an ironic twist, he's not here to see this event unfold. What brought Lanana to Oregon in the first place?
1: Yeah, the University of Oregon track program had uh, fallen off a little bit, not so much. Competitively, it was still very strong, but there was less and less of an imprint in the community. Um, the coach at the time, but before Vin, Martin Smith, uh, technically a very good coach, but a polarizing figure, didn't really have a lot of interest in staging meets at Hayward Field, and so uh, the the imprint of the sport in Eugene even had fallen off, and that alarmed people. And some of the people that alarmed were the movers and shakers at Nike. Martin uh, was sort of encouraged to leave. And they went out and looked for a guy that was not only a good coach, but a, a promoter. And that's Finlanana. That's he dreams big, and he puts those dreams into action, which he did. You know, Once he came with Nike's help, they got the 2008 Olympic trials and has, have had all the Olympic trials since. Um, so, he, yeah, he did what they wanted him to do. He not only brought the Olympic trials back, uh, he made the University of Oregon track program as good or better Competitively as they were under Martin Smith, but also made home meets for the University of Oregon a, an event that people wanted to go to again at some level anyway. And he, uh, as a promoter, he uh, staged the World uh, Junior Championships in Eugene in 2014, and the World Indoor Championships in Portland in 2016. So he was uh, very successful on those levels as well.
0: And why did he leave?
1: I don't know if I have a definitive answer for that but this is what I think more than what I can prove as as a guy who who was able to do all these things he he pushes hard and people get tired of being pushed there got to be a little bit of a backlash about that and then the world indoor championships in portland at the, at the Oregon Convention Center it was really a fun event and mm-hmm. I enjoyed covering it It didn't make any money. In fact, it lost a lot of money. Once the the bills came due and there wasn't money to pay them, the University of Oregon and the the University of Oregon track program did what it always did and and went to Beaverton hat in hand and said, we can't pay our bills. And the bills were paid. But I think resentfully so. uh, Once the the World Outdoor Championships landed in Eugene, there was a feeling that uh, somebody else who would be more financially accountable. And I don't know if that's fair to say Lenana wasn't financially accountable, but I think that was the perception would actually be in charge of the event. So Van was was sort of marginalized. I mean, he, he resigned as the Tracktown USA president. He had a, a rebellion at USATF after being elected president and sidelined for a while over uh, perception that he might have been up to no good when he got the World Outdoor Championships. There there was hanky-panky with the bid. He wasn't allowed to be part of the organizing committee that's putting on the two, what was the 2021, now the 2022 World Outdoor Championship. So he, he basically had, had lost <clears throat> everything uh, meaningful to do. He, he's a basically an associate athletic director at Oregon. Uh, anybody who knows Lana knows uh, that isn't a big enough role for him. So he went out and found one that that was commensurate with, you know, the impact he wanted to have. Where is he now? Then is now the, the head cross country and track coach at the University of Virginia, and also the president of, of uh, Track Town USA, that which is a volunteer position and more of a, it's less of an administrative figure at that level and sort of more of a spiritual head of the organization.
0: So there, this famous stadium, um, a lot of people might not know the story of Bill Hayward. Uh, can you? Tell folks about Bill Hayward a little bit.
1: Well, he was the coach that originally got the tradition of Oregon track started. A uh, very long time, famous uh, track coach uh, coached Bill Bowerman. When Bill Bowerman took over at Oregon, he was continuing a tradition started by uh, by Bill Hayward. For a long time, it went from Bill Hayward to Bill Bowerman to Bill Dellinger. <laughs> and it was sort of an unbroken chain there,
0: Ken. Can- What's your first memory of the old Hayward Field?
1: I uh, first covered state high school meets there in the 1970s. So that, that basically is my first memory. Uh, uh, I used to love that event uh, when I was a high school sports writer. It was sort of the culmination of the year. You'd, you'd been tracking these athletes all year uh, through their times, and it was fun to see them all in one place and sort of duking it out for, for who was best. So um, it was an event I always look forward to.
0: You know, I think my first uh, memory of Hayward was watching uh, Marla Runyon run a, a 10k there when when I was in college. Um, the um, you know she's famous, uh, legally blind um, su- superstar, really long distance runner. Uh, I remember sitting in those stands taking that in, and back in the day, that was pretty special.
1: Yeah, Marla Runyon was an exceptional athlete. She originally uh, was an heptathlete. Uh, and then her side issues caused her to have to stop that. And, and she just switched to be to becoming a, a distance runner, which, you know, if you follow the sport is like uh, somebody who was uh, running back, suddenly uh, unable to be a running back anymore and deciding to, to remake himself into an offensive lineman. And it's that kind of shift in the skills that you need to do to be successful. And, and she was very good at it, as you point out. She was a world-class uh, distance runner and Olympian. The 2008 uh, Olympic trials uh, included a men's 800. That's my probably the most favorite of memory I have of all my time covering sports. Uh, two Oregon guys uh, were considered contenders going in, but didn't look like they were having very good races. Uh, Nick Simmons, who a Willamette grad who trained with Oregon Track Club Elite, and Andrew Whiting, who was still going to the University of Oregon at the time, mm-hmm. they were so far back even with 300 meters to go, it didn't look like they had a chance. And they came from way back. And uh, coming off the turn, the crowd was so loud. I, I've i been at a lot of sporting events, and I've heard a lot of noise. But for a, a venue that isn't enclosed, the racket was so intense uh, with, with Weeding and, and Simmons coming from the outside. And then I didn't notice, but on the inside was an athlete named Christian Smith, who also trained with OTC Elite, was making a big move. And – my eyes, and I think most of the eyes of the people in the stadium were focused on outside where where Simmons was pulling in front and, and dragging Weeding to first and second finish. But Smith dove at the finish line and came in third. And so Oregon athletes went one, two, three, and the crowd's reaction was just amazing, as you probably will remember having seen it. You can still find the video of that race online. And if you watch the NBC version of it, You'll watch Simmons, uh, who's very happy that he won, and he, he knows Weeding finished second. But as you watch him look up at the scoreboard for the official results and notice Christian Smith finished third, the look on his face is priceless.
0: So these are the moments that, you know, whether it's track and field or, you know, any type of sport that sports fans live for, um, and we're missing out on that this summer on so many fronts.
1: Yeah, that's true. But um, I think that's life, right? People in all walks of life are missing out on all kinds of things. And that's, that's what's happened with this pandemic. And it's, it's tragic on so many levels. But yeah, if you're a sports fan, if you're in particular a track fan, it's really hard not to have the Olympic trials.
0: This field is is going to be uh, special whenever it's open for any number of reasons. But um, is track and field a, a moneymaker at the University of Oregon?
1: No. Big loser. Um, I don't know of any college track program that makes money, which is sort of what the sport in a little bit of uh, crosshairs at the moment because it, when we talk about the pandemic playing havoc with the sports world, uh, most collegiate athletic programs make most of their money through the college football season. College football uh, supports track and field and all other Olympic sports at most other schools. The revenue from the college football season and it's pretty clear now that um the revenue isn't going to be what it normally is even if the college football season's played uh the question of how many fans they're going to allow in the stadiums if they're going to allow fans at all uh, which it's uh restricts that revenue stream that colleges are relying on uh, to support their athletic programs so if you don't have the money then then you're sort of stuck as to to what you can do, uh, a few colleges have responded by dropping men's track and field. Men's track and field's a little more endangered than women's track and field because of Title IX, the, the which is the federal law that mandates uh, equal access to education for both men and women. Right. When that's applied to athletics, um, it's a big problem at a lot of schools because there's no women's sport equivalent to football. So if you're going to bring your Numbers in balance, um, that means more women's sports and and fewer men's sports. So uh, men's track and field is, has uh, been either uh, cut back or done away with altogether at some schools. And I would think if there's no college football season or if it's a severely restricted college football season, that could happen at other schools as well.
0: Um, and so I guess obviously U of O has these uh, it's got this new Hayward. It's got Matthew Knight Arena, which is a, um, you know, top, top of the line uh, facility as well. And then Austin Stadium, which has been renovated, um, you know, I guess almost 20 years ago at this point, but kind of funds, funds everything. It's a it's kind of a, it's a perilous, potentially perilous financial situation.
1: Now, the University of Oregon's in a little bit different category than a lot of other schools because um, they have one of the richest man in the country who's a booster and and cares a lot about University of Oregon athletics and um, is willing to underwrite them to an extent. Now he is 83 years old and I hope he lives for a long time, but at some point he's not going to be alive and it'll be interesting to see what happens then because he has quite generously built and donated a lot of really top-notch facilities to the University of Oregon. But those facilities also require a lot of money to maintain. So um, at some point, that bill is going to come due.
0: So spitting it forward, Ken, what do we know in terms of um, short-term? Is the pre-classic going, going to happen in October? Do we know?
1: Well, they have a date. Um, the University of Oregon has not agreed as, as of now that that date um, uh, uh, will be available. The, to uh, the pre-classic to use Hayward Field. So there's a little bit of a standoff going there. Whatever happens, the pre-classic isn't going to be the pre-classic that we've known over the years. I, I think it, it's hard for me to believe there's going to be the kind of international travel that, that's going to be necessary to bring the top athletes from the world into Eugene, Oregon, which is what's really distinguished the pre-classic over the years. you get, you know fields often that are better than a, Olympic final fields uh, for that meet. Um, but I just don't think that's going to happen. So even if, if the pre classic does take place, I think it's going to be more of a regional meet. That's, it still could be a very good meet. I, I just say, I got the three of the best distance training groups in the United States are, are here and right. uh, you could certainly put together a great distance field just with athletes from Oregon, but, um, it's, it's not going to be what it was even if it's held. I think the jury's out as to whether it'll be held.
0: What about, you know, the Olympic trials and and the world championships? Do we know the future status of those uh, marquee events?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, that's a very good question. And I don't think we do know uh, just uh, and that's going to hinge a lot on what happens with the coronavirus pandemic. Um, I think that there's going to have to be, at the very least, a successful treatment for it. But the, the best scenario would be that there's a vaccine that's been produced and is widely available that can protect both athletes and spectators at the uh, Olympic trials and at the Olympics. I mean, the Olympics is where it all starts, right? If, right? if Japan can't hold the Olympics, then there's no need for an Olympic trial. So those are things that, that really have to be answered. And, and the Olympics is a tougher nut to crack because it's, you're bringing people from all over the world into one place. And you just have to have one group of people from one country where there's an outbreak and you risk infecting everybody who goes from all over the world. So I think that's why, uh, at the very least, there has to be a successful treatment. And, and the, the best case scenario is that there's a vaccine that, that everybody who's going, uh, whether they're a spectator or athlete, would have access to.
0: Ken, you know, meanwhile, I guess uh, you've got this TrackTown USA with, with this brand new facility and kind of sitting there, I guess. Uh, will TrackTown USA continue after this? Do we, do we know?
1: uh well um there's some hope uh that uh, the NCAA championships will make Hayward Field its permanent site sort of like in college baseball omaha is the permanent site for the college world series and for college softball uh oklahoma city is a permanent site like i say it's it's going to be the best facility in the americas one of the best in the world so you could certainly make a case why track and field should hold its division 1 outdoor championships in Eugene at the new Hayward Field. Um, not everybody's on board with that. Eugene is in a corner of the country; it's hard to get to. Coaches from Florida and Texas repeatedly have objected to uh, making Hayward Field a permanent site. They don't have any problem with it being uh, a part of a rotation, but uh, I don't think they want it to be there every year. So those decisions have to be made. If there's an NCAA championships, that I'm sure the Track Town organizing committee, which is stage the, the previous ones would continue to, to stage the future ones uh beyond that um the diamond league final uh is a possibility that could take place at hayward field as i said the the diamond league is a series of elite track meets uh all over the world including uh olympic level athletes the pre-classic is part of the diamond league uh, but there's also a diamond league final uh certainly um uh, there's the possibility that that could at least on occasion be cited at Hayward Field. And if that happened, I'm sure the uh, track town USA would, would uh, be doing a lot of the logistical work for it.
0: Yeah, I guess I was, I was asking more spiritually too. I mean, if, and when we emerge from this, I guess the big unanswered question, right. Is, you know, will the Hayward magic return or does it still exist?
1: No, that's a really good question. And, um, again, it's it's a big question because um, I think a lot of it sort of is about what's the future of the sport in the United States. In the 1950s, uh, it was a big spectator sport. It was one of the biggest spectator sports we had. Um, that is not true now. Uh, it's a niche sport. Um, outside of Eugene, Oregon, um, most people don't pay much attention to track and field outside of the Olympics. Uh, the question is, uh, you know, is, is there going to be enough support and funding for the sport to continue at all um and that's a big question like we've talked about uh collegiate programs um possibly uh facing an uncertain future given the the financial situations at, at colleges the the collegiate sports system is is uh, basically uh what fuels the u.s olympic movement many uh of the most popular olympic sports those are athletes that we're nurtured and trained in the collegiate system, and mm. track and field in particular. If, if that lessens, if, if there's a smaller footprint for Olympic sports at the collegiate level, then I think that's not good for track and field. It's a question of whether there's going to be uh, enough interest or funding for, for anyone else at the club level to try to, to take up that developmental process. Yeah, I don't know. That's, it's just a huge question. Um, the sport has struggled just having uh, meets – of any size there, there's a handful of, of big meets now, uh, the pen relays, uh, the Drake relays, um, and the pre-classic, but outside of that, it, it's hard to, to think of a, a big track meet and you, you plop down in middle America and, and most people don't know who Ashton Eaton was. And at the time he, he set the world record in the decathlon. And even when he was doing that, he wasn't a household name. So yeah, th- those are big questions. And, and in Eugene, which is Tracktown USA and where there is a big following for the sport. Um, there's not a lot of young people in that following in recent years, very few college students attend those meets They're, You look out in the, the stadium and a lot of the faces are 50 plus. And, and when those people start to leave the stage, is there going to be an audience for it at all? I mean, that's a really big question. And I don't know that I have an answer for it.
0: We've got so many big questions facing uh, our world right now and and this is certainly one of them and thank you so much for sharing your expertise and uh, insights uh, from covering this stuff for decades appreciate it
1: yeah thanks for having me
0: thanks for listening to beat check with you Oregonian check out the latest photos of the new Hayward field I shared a link in the episode notes if you like the show tell a friend and leave us a rating and review in iTunes until next time